0: The following is a presentation of Genesis. Genesis is a place where you are invited to begin, belong, and believe. To find out more, visit us on the web at genesisthejourney.com.
1: Welcome to Genesis. My name is Michael. If uh, you're here for the very first time, uh, thanks for coming. Um, One of the things going on in uh, Genesis right now is um, uh, we're in the midst of uh, a conversation of sorts of asking God, Uh, What is your desire with the future of uh, this community? And uh, very much so, we're asking the question, uh, is God desiring to uh, see Genesis uh, step out, so to speak, and become a a full-blown church, a standalone church uh, from where we currently are? And so every week when you come come in, there's some cards on your chair that says Genesis Church Plant has a big question. Uh, I want to encourage you to take time, Uh, to express and use your voice to be part of this process, uh, to raise questions, uh, ideas, comments, concerns. Uh, There is a team of people, uh, myself and eight others, uh, who are getting together uh, monthly to uh, think through these things and do some talking, some planning, and and such. Uh, And we take all of these questions into consideration. So uh, please take the time to actually fill that out and and let us know what's on your heart, what's on your mind. Uh, In a couple weeks, uh, Sunday, December 7th, Uh, which is uh, three Sundays from now, Uh, we're going to be asking a very important question uh, of you, the community. And the question is going to be a very simple yes or no. Um, If Genesis does decide to church plant, is that something that you would be pretty excited about being part of? Uh, This is not decision day that if you say yes, you're locked into forever until you die uh, being part of Genesis as a church. But uh, we need to get a sense or a feel Um, of where you guys are at with this. Is this uh, just a handful of us who were dreaming about this and uh, praying about this, or is this really kind of on the hearts of uh, our entire community? So a few weeks from now, a very simple yes or no question, uh, something along the lines of a little piece of paper will be given to you. Um, So be thinking about that, be praying about that. Uh, This coming Thursday, uh, we do this once a month. Uh, I invite and uh, really encourage the community to uh, take uh, one month, one day a month uh, to fast uh, and to pray. Fasting is just setting aside a day where, uh, in this case, uh, we're making the commitment not to eat. And so um, uh, the past uh, couple months, there's been uh, 40 or 50 of us who've been gathering on these Thursday uh, evenings at the well. And we do some worship, we do some prayer, and that's coming up this Thursday. So I would really strongly encourage you to not only come on Thursday to be part of the worship and prayer time, but to really set aside Thursday as a day uh, where you're just going to seek the Lord and say, "Lord, is this something you really want me to be part of? Is this something that you would have me uh, invest myself into in terms of this community?" Um, tonight, I wanted to introduce you to a friend of mine. He is um, his name is E Fong. He usually hangs out behind the iMac. And E um, Fong, stop hiding! Come on out! Say hello to E Fong, everybody. Yifang has been uh, around for the past... uh Hello. Hello, Yifang. How are you? Are you good? Yeah. You sure? It's on. All right. I mean, it's on. Yes. I uh, wanted to introduce uh, Yifang to you for a few different reasons, but um, uh, Yifang, just give us uh, a quick um, uh, spiritual journey. What's your spiritual journey been like and and how you came to know God?
0: Well, I was um, born in Taiwan and... um that culture was more uh, pagan and uh, Buddhistic culture. So when I grew up, um, that's what everybody believed in. Uh, but I didn't believe it because I viewed it more as superstition. Everybody is very superstitious about superstitious a about uh, variety of things. When I came to join my parents in the United States, they were already Christians. Um, they said that um, they, they told me about the Christian faith, but they, not for, they did not forced it down my throat and so they left it to my own choice and i think i was about 11 or 12 and at that time we were in uh, rhode island and there was a missionary named uh, miss poon and she said jesus christ is the only way to heaven that is the true uh, salvation and that's when i accepted jesus christ as my savior and i kind of tend to think of it as the mark uh, ten fifteen, like the childlike faith and that's how i got saved
1: hmm, cool um how long have you been coming uh, to Genesis, and like when did you first come? And uh, just first impressions, and did you connect with people right away? And, and how long you've been here, and that kind of stuff.
0: Well, I've been here since uh, June of '07, which is last year, and uh, I heard about it through my uh, campus ministry, uh, campus crusade, rather, uh, friends on my campus at UMass Boston, and um, they just said, hey, you know Genesis is this great, vibrant, youthful community. And I was like, that's great. And um, I came, and visited, and, you know, I saw Michael there, and I saw a bunch of people, and it was a very friendly, uh, very inviting environment to be a part of.
1: It was, f- we were actually doing a series uh, called iDate at the time, and uh, I remember, how many people were around for iDate? Sweet, we should do iDate Part 2. Uh, <laughs> maybe more would get engaged. Hey, how about that? Maybe um, iMarriage? iMarriage. Marriage. Hey. Hey, on to something. I have no girlfriend, Start so Start working on the design for that. That's good stuff. Um, what are we talking about again? Oh, well. I, marriage, yes. The next question. Um, um, one of the reasons I was um, uh, excited uh, for you to meet Yifong is uh, probably about a month or two ago, uh, I remember when Yifong uh, came to me and, and said, you know, I wanted to encourage you, Michael, that uh, ever since uh, I made a decision to declare uh, that Genesis uh, is my home, this is my community, uh, I saw a very marked difference in my walk with God. And so I wanted you to hear that uh, aspect of your story and just how did you come to make the decision uh, that Genesis was your home community and then just what are some of the things that uh, you've seen along the way, so to speak, in terms of how you've grown relationally with people here? But also just relationally with God.
0: Um, before I came to Genesis, um, I was what they call a lone Christian. Like I, I didn't, I wanted to know God through myself, and I didn't. I, I saw the church as a very hypocritical sort of uh, organization or entity. I, I just felt very apprehensive about joining something that they would say things but not do it. They would maybe have a facade or a mask, and I didn't feel like I want to be a part of something like that. If I wanted to know God by myself, so I, I would read the Word, but then, like the quiet times would slip, and then I wouldn't read the Word, and eventually, almost I almost gave up on church altogether. And then, through just I guess logic and self-discovery and talking to my friends um, and my parents, primarily my parents, but we discovered I discovered rather that I had become that very person or that hypocrite that I was pointing to. I mean, I had been going to church, but I was one of those people that, oh, I don't want to talk to people. I don't want to go up to people. I don't want to make a difference. I feel like if I go to church, um, it's, it's almost like it's a consumer product or service. You go to church, come in, get your product and services, and you leave without, you know, investing anything in the, into the community. And I felt like, okay, I, I disliked those people, but then I had become that very person that I disliked. It's like this huge paradox that I was living with. And I just through lodging, without even praying about it, I just said, listen, um, if, if I'm going to be a part of a church, I decided to, I, I didn't want to have God serve me. I wanted to serve God. I didn't want the community to serve me. I wanted to serve the community. And just, you know, without even praying, just logically, at that time, I was very sort of far away from God at that point. But I made a conscious decision to not be that person, not be that hypocrite despite what others think, it doesn't matter, I'm going to make a choice, a conscious decision, to say, walk up to people, talk to people. Uh, I want to serve the community uh, because I, I like to, but also because I want to get to know the Lord better and grow as a part of the body of Christ. Hmm. So when I made that decision and I came here, I like went up to everybody and talked to everybody. It doesn't matter who who it is, or it doesn't matter you know where they're coming from. I wanted to connect into the community that way. And um, because of that, <coughs> I felt like, my faith was growing because of that. Um, so for the first probably two or three months, I was just hanging out with people, not just on Sunday, but, you know, afterwards and maybe different activities like apples to apples. I remember that. So there was, that was a long while ago. I don't know if we still are in it, but just sort of different events outside of the church. I got to know Genesis as a community, and as I was doing that, I felt like this is what the church should be as you're growing in the church so the first thing I would recommend is to uh, com- connect with different people, build relationships, invest in the community. Number two is uh, eventually I had um, committed the tithe or offering to the church. Um, the church does need have a financial need and burden, like all, all the churches, not just us, but specifically if you're going to come here and make this your home church, you should give your offerings. Like every, I do it every month and, you, you know, so on. And then the third thing is probably to connect to a life group. Uh, for the first couple months, I didn't really connect to a life group yet, but eventually I saw that, that we were pushing that back then. I felt like that's another venue for me to grow every week with um, fellow believers to get to know Christ on a very personal level, to ask tough questions and to get to know the word. And then, and then that's what I did. I joined life group about last September sometime. And that was another uh, sort of way to get to know God much better that way. And um, finally, I guess, um, it, in order to sort of get connected, truly connected with uh, the community, I feel like it, it, it's really changed how I looked at, from where I was, I was, no, I was no longer the lone ranger Christian. I was in a community, and I felt like I was making a difference in the community. I felt like the community was caring about me, and I was caring about the community. And that is how I sort of made the decision to, make uh, Genesis my home church. Cool. Thanks, Ifong. Um,
1: uh, as I mentioned, Ifong serves as uh, one of the, uh, the folks uh, on our media team uh, that does uh, media for Sunday nights and uh, some different venues that uh, we make use of media. Uh, but Ifong also is in charge of our um, connections uh, community. And so I want to just give you a minute, 60-second shout-out, so to speak, of uh, just your heart as you're leading uh, this Connections community now, uh, what is your desire in terms of helping us as a community um, with getting connected? What does that mean?
0: Well, in a similar vein of how I got connected to Genesis, I felt like I, I wanted that experience for all the people who are new or, or even existing current uh, regulars. I wanted to have have a feeling of being a part of something that's going to change their lives and Make the ch- the differences uh, in Boston and for Christ and you know so on and, and as a part of that we need more people obviously and there uh, there there's, there's going to be some of you where we're going to come to ask ask you uh, to be a part of the team eventually sooner or later and um, I just pray to God that you have in your heart to serve the community and to help and grow not just yourselves but um, all the the church members within Genesis community. Hmm that we would be sort of running the race together and helping one another to grow. Excellent. Yifong, thank you very much. Appreciate you coming up.
1: (laughs) It's always weird when guys whistle for other guys that way. It just kind of freaks me out. Um, You know, every single week you guys come in, we put uh, some form of media on your chairs and Usually, it finds its way to the ground, and uh, the next week, we pick it up for you and put it back on your chairs, um, and we'll continue to do that because we love you, um, but uh, one of the cards that is always a constant is those Get Connected cards, and uh, uh, really, that's our way of saying um, uh, we really want you to be connected uh, first and foremost with God, but then also within uh, the context of this community. and. uh uh, so if you have yet to uh, fill one of those cards out, uh, Yifong and his team uh, would definitely would follow up with you and just let you know uh, how to get connected within a, a life group maybe or some of the different things that happen throughout the week. Uh, like this week, I mentioned the well. Uh, this Friday night, we've got a great thing going on. There's about 25 or so uh, guys who are connected on Friday night to head down to Boston. Uh, if you want to connect on that, you can talk to my man, Zach. Uh, but there's just some different things that happen within Genesis throughout the week. Um, so... Our desire is that you connect with God in a meaningful, authentic, genuine way and that you would connect with one another in the same thing. We were created for relationship and we want to help as best we can as a community foster relationship both with our creator and then uh, with one another. So, Yifong, thanks very much for sharing your heart, man. Um, We uh, started a a series uh, a couple uh, through two, three weeks ago uh, just entitled Jesus and uh, we're walking through uh, the gospel story. Uh, according to Mark. And uh, last week, um, Jesus is, um, you know, very early on, verse 1, he's identified as God's son. So Jesus is God's son. He is identified as the Christ, meaning he is the Messiah or he is the Savior uh, that God was sending into the world. Um, And it's very shocking already to see how Jesus is behaving, Uh, meaning you would think that Jesus, if God's son was going to show up, um, and he's really the Messiah, he would behave, he would act in a certain way. And Jesus is uh, so far not behaving uh, as he is supposed to. Uh, for instance, he spent the better part, first 28, 29 years, living in absolute obscurity. No one had a clue as to who God's son living on earth was. Son of a Jewish carpenter living in a town that's not even mentioned in, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, very obscure lifestyle, the first roughly 30 years of his life. He shows up, and the very first thing he does is he goes and he hangs out with people who are going to take a um, a, a repentance bath, getting baptized. So his first appearance on public, uh, appearing to the public, is he's identifying himself with people who are confessing their sin, repenting of their sin, and then getting baptized. And then he does the unthinkable Uh, Jesus, God's son, Savior, decides to hop in the waters with the people and actually get baptized as well. And then soaking wet from there, he's led by the Spirit of God to disappear for 40 days. After this amazing baptism where heavens open up and God says, that's my son, he's doing a good thing, I love him. Um, He's all of a sudden led into the desert and he has a fight for 40 days uh, with God's enemy, uh, Satan. So 40 days, he's now... MIA. Nowhere to be seen. No one takes the time to follow him into the desert. He goes off by himself to has this fight with Satan where he's tempted, he's tested, he's tried for the better part of 40 days. And then he emerges after 40 days and he appears to um, uh, a group of people on uh, the beach side of uh, the lake or the Sea of Galilee. So all of this to say, kind of to set up where we're going tonight, Uh, Jesus, the son of God, the savior, the, the Christ is just not behaving, acting in a way that you would expect or you would think. And what I've seen in my own life is every time I expect God to do one thing, act a certain way, do a certain thing. He does usually the complete opposite. He continually blows my expectations of what I think he should do out of the water. And my hope tonight, uh, as we talk about, uh, One of the most amazing invitations uh, coupled with a promise that God gives to humanity, to you, to me, uh, to all of us, uh, is that you would be shocked by what God is inviting you to do. So let me uh, just pray, and then uh, we'll take a look at uh, what Scripture has to say tonight. Jesus, I thank you that um, uh, you shock us. And I pray you would do that very thing tonight. God, I have no idea where... Uh, everyone's hearts and minds and souls are in this place tonight. We all have a very different uh, background, a very different story, and certainly a very different spiritual journey, uh, where some have known you for a long time, and some are still trying to figure out if they want to know you. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that tonight you would literally shock us with this incredible invitation and this incredible promise that you give to each of us. And Father, I pray in advance that there would be people here tonight who would do the unthinkable and respond to that invitation. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. if you have a Bible, open up to Mark chapter 1. I'm starting at verse 14. It says this, After John, meaning John the Baptist, was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee. It says after he uh, just had a, a big battle with Satan in the desert for 40 days, he shows back up. It says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. Verse 15, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, it's kind of a subtle nuance here, but it says, you know, after John was put in prison. A better way to actually translate or understand that little thing, that phrase right there, is that John was handed over. This is a foreshadow of what is going to actually happen to Jesus. Jesus would be handed over. As John was handed over and put in prison, Jesus ultimately would give his life. His life would be handed over uh, for us. Now, John being handed over sets the stage for Jesus launching into his ministry. So John is now done, he is off the scene, he is in prison, and now Jesus appears and um, starts preaching, starts proclaiming uh, the good news. Now before I tell you kind of Jesus' very first sermon, I wanted just to ask a question, and my question is this, have you ever thought that it seems like God doesn't treat certain people very fair? You might be thinking, yes, I know that person very well, I see them every day in the mirror. I mean, we, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, there's the story of a guy named Job, right? And Job, just for no apparent reason, his life is rocked, literally turned upside down. And you may actually feel like that right now. You're like, God just is not treating me very fair. You always, Your life always seems to be kind of on the wrong end of a very short stick. Now, when I read just that simple verse, after John was put in prison... I honestly think to myself, really? Really? He goes to prison? He doesn't get like a parade? After doing everything he did to prepare the way for Jesus to come, this is how he's treated? I mean, after he dressed all weird and ate weird food, preached a very difficult message, telling people just to stop sinning and repent and turn to God... After all of that, after being faithful, after being obedient, after being passionate, this is what happens to John. This is how John is treated. He, his deal, he, the, we're going to cover the story of John when we hit Mark chapter 6 because he doesn't just end up in prison. Some little girl asks for the head of John the Baptist, and the king's like, well, okay, sure, here it is. This is how this great man of God, his story ends. For some reason, that frustrates me a little bit. How could it be that this guy, John, if anyone's being faithful, John is, but yet John ends up in prison? How is it that the forerunner for Jesus somehow just seems to totally get run over? And I'm guessing that at some points, You've probably felt like that in your life. God, I am trying as hard as I possibly can to be faithful, to do the right thing, to trust you, to follow you, and I seem to just keep getting railroad. I just seem to keep, I keep getting the shaft. God, is this really the way you treat people who love you a lot? St. Uh, Teresa of Avila uh, is a famous Spanish nun, and she said this in her, one of her journals. If this is the way you treat your friends, it's no wonder you have so few. I'm guessing she was probably being a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but I'm also guessing there was some raw emotion there as she penned those words nearly 500 years ago. God, if this is the way you treat your friends, it's no wonder that you have so few. So, is this how following God works? You follow as hard as you can, and then you just end up in prison. Well, let me answer the question by just saying this, and you won't like it very much, but there was no better place that John could have been than have been in prison. That was absolutely the best place for him to be, and I say that with absolute conviction and confidence because that's exactly where God wanted him to be. No matter what your geography is, no matter what your circumstance or location is, It's exactly where God wants you to be. So whether you are absolutely in the desert or a mountaintop high or in the midst of a parade or in a a prison, that is absolutely the best place that you can be. The deal with following God is not a matter of location. It's ultimately a matter of trust. Will I trust God and will I trust him enough to say he's good? If I'm in prison, that doesn't change the goodness of God. If I'm in the desert, it doesn't change the goodness of God. I just want you to catch that. Your geography, circumstance, location, that's the best place you can be. Even if it's hard, difficult, painful. I can only imagine John in prison. But that was absolutely the best place that John could have been. I found in my own journey with God is that It's getting easier and easier to trust him as I go. The older I get, and I'm only 36, I'm finding it so much easier and easier to trust God as I go because I continually see that no matter where I am, that's the best place that I can possibly be because I just continue to see God show up. It doesn't matter if I'm in prison, so to speak, or in the desert or on a mountaintop. God is not void of any of those places. It wasn't like John was in prison. It was like, oh, God's thinking, I can't go there. It's prison, that he was somehow abandoned of God. There's no place where you are or ever could go where you would be abandoned of God. So I just want you to this. It's too easy to fly past that one verse. It says, after John was put in prison. That was the best place that John the Baptist could possibly go. I started to mention as it, uh, for me, it's getting easier just to trust God as I get older. Um, And because I'm coming more and more to the conclusion that he's good. He's absolutely good. If you look at the very next verse in verse 15, when it says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Proclaiming the good news of God. Jesus preached. His very first message that Jesus preaches is... The goodness of God, otherwise known as the gospel. Question, is anyone at all encouraged, happy, joyful that the news coming from heaven is actually good news? Because it didn't have to be good news. Like, does that put a smile on your face that the literally the newsreel coming from heaven at that point in time was good news? It could have been news that said, you're all up the creek without a paddle. It could have been news that said, no hope for you, right? It could have been news that just said, prepare for the worst, not the best, or work harder, perform more, maybe you'll merit my my love. Or it could have been news that just says, you know what? God doesn't give a rip about you. Your life is absolutely meaningless. Have fun trying to figure out your purpose, And the reality is that the news coming from heaven that Jesus, in his very first message that he preached, that he proclaims, is good news. So the fact that his very first message is one of proclaiming good news, it enables me even more to trust him. How about you? See, the more I listen to the news coming from heaven, the more I realize how good it is which enables me to trust him even more. So Jesus came preaching the good news of God, the gospel of God. And so the question is, what is this good news? And Mark explains. He says, the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God is near. So repent and believe this good news. Well, what time is it? What does that mean, the time is near? Well, the time has come, meaning God is about to break forth into human history in a unique way, in a way that has never, ever been seen. Galatians 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 4, really communicates this idea of time. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. God's desire when he broke forth into human history, into time and space, was that so we would be part of his family. Not that we would be outcasted or black sheep from his family. The good news was that the time had now come. God is stepping forth into time and space to reconcile and redeem a humanity back to himself. And when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, we're going to have a lot of conversations about the kingdom of God. The people would have been familiar with this phrase, but they, they didn't get it. That's why Jesus, you'll hear a lot in the Gospels, the kingdom of God is like this, or the kingdom of God is like this. Because people had ideas of what the kingdom was going to be or should be, and Jesus is saying, it's not that, it's actually this. The kingdom of God is not some spatial uh, category. Jesus is talking about God's reign or God's rule. The kingdom of God, Jesus is talking about the reign or rule of God, God intervening in humanity in order to set things right. It's such an incredible picture that God is breaking forth into human history in the person of Jesus. I love what makes this good news is it's from God, about God. That's why it's good news. If it wasn't from God or about God, it really would not be good news. It would just be information. It would be news. And so if the reality is such that if God doesn't establish his rule and reign, we got nothing. We got no good news at all. So, let me ask this question. If Jesus is proclaiming that the kingdom of God is near, what would be what would you imagine would be the appropriate response of people back in the day, listening. If God is breaking forth in, he's establishing his rule, his reign, what would you imagine people's response should be? Jesus only gives one option. His only one option is, because of this, you need to repent and believe. That's it, there's no other option. Repent and believe, meaning change the entire course of your life remember repentance is not just changing a behavior or an attitude it's literally changing all of who you are changing directionally who how you are living what is it we need to repent of just out of curiosity well ultimately what we need to repent of is not trying to build a kingdom that's where i sit as king or you sit as queen Repenting of trying to build a kingdom that has you on the throne. This is another way that Jesus is saying, don't make your life about you. Because if you do, you will miss all that God has, which is good news. Do you think Jesus, when he was preaching this message, do you think he like had some level of energy Or passion or conviction in his voice, or do you think it sounded something more like, you know, hey, if you feel like it, you know, God's doing this new thing, and if it's, I don't know, convenient for you, if this is a good time in your life, if it's a good season, you know, you might want to consider, you know, God is establishing his kingdom, his rule and his reign. You know, it's not really a big deal, but please consider accepting God as your king and then he just kind of walked away? Or do you think he actually had some passion in his voice and saying, God is ruling, establishing his rule both now and forevermore. Orient your entire life around the true and the right king, which is not you or me. This is why Jesus just said, repent and believe. This is happening now in front of you. The one who is proclaiming this message is ushering in God doing something unique in human history. If you were there on site, how would you have responded to this message? Do you think you would have waited or just kind of wavered or, I don't know, maybe questioned or doubted? Or would you have been one to say, if this is true, totally count me in? If you were there listening to Jesus preach this message, what would your response been? Well, what would your response be tonight? If the message that Jesus preached was, man, the kingdom of God is near. Repent. Don't be a king in your own kingdom or a queen in your own kingdom. Repent from that and turn to God and believe that Jesus is the one who is ushering in this new way of living. What would your response be tonight? Would you say, I, well, I don't know. I need to think about that for a little bit. I need to kind of ponder what that would mean. Or is there anyone who would say, wow, if this is true, count me in. But you just might have the question of, well, how do I actually, how do I get counted in, so to speak? How would I actually go about repenting and believing? How do I go about making my life about a, the right king where I'm not the king? And I love that Mark paints this very next story that takes place on the beach side because it helps us answer the question of, how do I not make my life about me, but I make it about God? Mark chapter um, 1, verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. And we had gone a little farther. He saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. I've read this story so many times, uh, and each time I read it, I honestly say to myself, really? I mean, did that really happen? I don't question like the authenticity of the story. I believe that it happened, but it is so hard for me to imagine that I would ever do something like that. How about you? If you were on the beach and Jesus comes up to you and doesn't really tell you much, he just says, come follow me. I'll make you a fisher of men. I mean, I think to myself, would I really drop everything and just start following this guy I don't even really know? I mean, would you? So I believe that it happened, but it's so unbelievable because I can't even imagine my response would be anything close to that. And I think, honestly, it's probably hard for us to grasp as well. Well, because we live in a culture that's obsessed with leadership, not followership. Everyone wants to be a leader, no one wants to be a follower. How many books in Barnes & Noble are on you becoming a better leader, developing the leader within you, understanding your leadership capabilities, maximizing your leadership capabilities? Have you ever seen a book on how to become a better follower? I mean, our culture's obsessed with being a leader. I mean, I see even in my, my kids, they play the game, follow the leader. They put on the Peter Pan song, following the leader, the leader, right? No one wants to follow. They fight with each other over who gets to be the leader. Everyone wants to lead, but no one wants to follow. Why? Well, because if you become a follower, well, it's not as glamorous. You might be mistreated. You might be marginalized or trivialized or manipulated or taken advantage of. That's why people don't want to follow. It's less, right? Let me communicate it like this. You were created to follow. I was created. Humanity was created to follow. The very fact that of Imago Dei, that we were created in the image of God, the very fact that we are created in someone else's image means that we are created to follow. We cannot reflect the one who's in image, whose image we bear unless we know that one. Unless we know God, and the only way we can know God is to follow him. When Adam and Eve rebelled back in the garden, they didn't stop becoming a follower. They just started following a very misguided, misdirected pattern. They did not, when they said, God, we're going to go off and do our own thing, and we're going to become leaders now. They didn't become leaders. They just decided to follow their own evil ways. We were all created to follow. All of us are following right now, someone or something. But yet we live in a time where everyone is just obsessed with being a leader. How about this question? If being independent, self-directed, or in control is really all that it's kind of cracked up to be, wouldn't you think there would be so much more joy and happiness in our culture? Like, if it was really all that it was kind of sold to be, where we're always just in control, living these autonomous lives, no one's going to manipulate me, I mean, wouldn't there be, wouldn't our culture just be one nonstop party? I mean, not just from a superficial happiness, but like true joy? Why is it that most of our culture are riddled with things like anxiety and fear, or even depression. We were all created uh, to follow. Really, the issue is not that we have um, an issue of following, per se. I know we probably all get that. Really, the big issue is we don't want to follow Jesus. Because I think you, you couldn't really argue with me that we're, we're all following someone or something. We're all followers. I think we'd all agree on that. Really, the question is, do we want to follow Jesus? Is that who you want to follow? Is that who you want to go after? These four guys on the beach that day, wow, when they were approached by Jesus with the invitation to follow, they said, okay. (laughs) They said, okay. There wasn't any questions, at least recorded, that we have. There's no conversations. They just said, okay. Now, they didn't have, as far as we know, any prior relationship with Jesus. There was no interview. There was no, like, reference checks. There was no demonstration that these guys were going to be, like, very super faithful or very fruitful. But Jesus got, like, check out the enormity of what just happened here on the beach. When Jesus comes to these guys on the beach and calls them to be His closest companions, these are the guys he's going to spend the rest of his life with. These are going to be the guys who will be the champions for the church, who will be the champions for faith. Now, there were other people on the beach that day, by the way. There was other fishermen on the beaches that day. Jesus could have gone up to anybody and said, follow me. But for some reason, Jesus went up to these four and said, follow me. Simon, otherwise known as Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Why on earth did he pick these guys to be his closest companions and to be really the future champions of Christianity? I have no idea. It's a a fine question to ask, but the question that really gets me Is not why did he choose them. Jesus is God's son. He's Messiah. He's Savior. Why on earth is he going after anyone to have them follow him? Shouldn't there be like a list of people who want to come like, wow, I would totally love to follow you. And there would be like resumes sitting at his table. Why is it that Jesus comes up to these people and says, you follow me? This is God's Son, Savior, Messiah. Why isn't there anyone on the beach that day clamoring to say, I'll go, I'll go, sign me up, and give them a list of A to Z of reasons why Jesus should pick them to be on his team? I love that Jesus doesn't wait around for people to come to him. He never does. This is a pattern that's continued over 2,000 years. He refuses to wait for people to come to him. Rather, he is going to be a leader who will create a community of followers. These are a few things I just want to highlight about what happened on the beach that day. Jesus, he invites them to follow, meaning they did not have to say yes. He did not force them. He invited them, he gave them a promise, and then that's it. They didn't have to say yes. Jesus always invites. Jesus is always inviting you and I to follow. He will not force, but he will invite. Secondly, he invites them to follow him. Not a program, not like a set of rules or regulations or some law or some system. He says, follow me. He makes it extremely personal. Jesus makes it personal. It's not some abstract or difficult invitation to grasp. He invites these guys to To follow him. Back in the day, prophets would never invite someone to follow them. They would invite people to follow God. Wise old sages, even religious leaders like Pharisees, they would not invite people to follow them. They would encourage them to learn from them or learn from their way of teaching. But you never would hear someone coming up to you and saying, follow me. Only God would have the audacity to say, follow me. And this is such a picture of Jesus knows exactly who it is because to follow him is to follow God. This was an invitation, not a negotiation. That's the second or third thing I wanted to point out. Invitation, not a negotiation. Come follow me. It wasn't like, guys, on the odd days, follow me. On the even days, you're free to do your thing. Or come follow me on the weekends. Monday through uh, Friday, again, you can kind of just do your own thing. It wasn't like, come follow me when it's convenient for your life or when it makes sense for you or when your schedule, you know, plan me in. There was no negotiation by Jesus. He just said, come follow me. Then he gives this invitation that's coupled with a promise. I will make you fishers of men. So the question is, what does this mean? Okay, it's a metaphor, right? Okay, fishers of men, and this is what Jesus is saying. If a fish gets hooked, okay, I'm not a fisherman guy, person. I can't stand fishing. So I wish he would have used another metaphor. I get it, I understand, but fishing is, thank you. right? Even when you catch something, it smells and it's like slippery and slimy. It's like, ah, phew. Anyways, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. He's talking to guys who understand this language, this lingo. When a fish gets caught, guess what? That fish's life is completely changed, altered forever. Once Nemo is caught, Nemo is done. In this scenario, usually the fish's life is over. It's a great picture, a metaphor, an illustration that Jesus is saying when you catch people, when humanity gets caught by Jesus, their life is not over, it's just beginning. Their life will be forever different. And so these guys can either spend their life fishing For profit, it's like death for profit, right? Catch some fish, they die, you sell them. You can spend your life doing death and profit. Or Jesus says, better yet, I will make you fishers of people, of men and of women. And you will bring life, not death. There will be eternity, not just a a momentary profit for you. So which would you choose, death and profit or life and eternity? Okay, you hear this talk from me a lot that uh, this is, we so desire that this would truly be a missional community where we see ourselves as missionaries to the culture, to the world that we live in. Do you catch right here, from the moment where they meet Jesus, he is setting their life up for mission. Becoming a Christian, a follower of Christ, is not an escape from the world you actually have a new way to engage the world. Sometimes we think Christians and we create these Christian bubbles where we don't have to interact with people who don't know God, love God. But Jesus, from the very moment he invites these guys to follow, he says, you're going to fish for people. You're going to engage humanity, not run away from humanity. You're going to love them and serve them and care for them. So from the get-go, Jesus is saying, you are, your life is going to be about the mission. The last thing I'll point out about Jesus is he says this. Jesus promises that he will create in us that which we could not or would not do on our own. Did you catch the phrase where Jesus says, I will make you? I don't have to become like this person on my own. Like I don't have to have this spiritual makeover. Jesus is the one who says, I will make you. I will create in you. I will form in you. I will shape in you. I will give you a heart that you could not have on your own. I will give you a mind that you could not come up with on your own. I will completely and radically make you over. So that you will begin to be the person that God has designed you to be. I love that it's not an invitation with a promise and then it's like, well, good luck. I hope it goes well. It's going to be rough out there, but I'll be watching you. He says, no, follow with a promise. And he says, I will do this. I will do this in you. Now, their response is uh, nothing short of phenomenal because they, just, they said yes. I've wondered, did they actually have a clue to what they were saying yes to? And I honestly don't think that they did. It wasn't because they were bored in life and were like, well, there's nothing better going on and we're just fishermen. But they said yes. They said yes without really knowing much. Okay, and I want to, as best I can, drive this home. I have... Uh, they said yes with very little details, and I've found in my own life, on my own journey with God, that the more details I actually have, the worse off I am. Would you agree with that? The more details you have about something, the worse off you actually are. And I'll tell you why. Because the more details I have about something or something that God is doing, the more that I try to maneuver or manipulate the outcome, meaning I try to con- Control the situation. If Jesus invites me to follow and says, Michael, it's going to look like this for the first couple of weeks, and then after that, we're going to transition you into this, and then after that, around year two, three, it's going to start to look like this. If I actually got all of the details, I would be like, sweet, I don't even need you anymore. Because now that I have a picture, I can start controlling and manipulating that picture to, to do what? To work out best for who? Not for Jesus, because I'm not following him anymore. To follow me. I am honestly thankful. You might not be able to say this, but I am honestly thankful that I don't have a lot of the details. But do you have the decision, at least, to say, I'm in? I'm following. Can you imagine if Jesus gave them the details of what their journey would look like? Imagine if the invitation that Jesus said sounded like this Hey, guys. Follow me, your life will never be the same. It will be difficult, filled with a lot of rejection. People will mock you, even hate you. You'll fall innumerable times along the way. Satan was going to try and take you down, and the Romans and Jews will come after your life and kill you when they're done with me. That's kind of a snapshot, actually, of what their journey looked like. Anyone's going to sign up for that? If Jesus approached them and said, hey, this is the details, you wanted them. Do you think they'd be like, oh, my gosh, no? Of course I'm not going to follow you. How about this? What about the flip side? What if Jesus said, uh, hey, follow me. 2,000 years from now, people will still be talking about you and your great faith and this one day, this moment in time on the beach. People will celebrate you. They might have said, yes, then. Why? Well, because they have a little snapshot of a detail there. And what they'd actually begin to follow is something where people would be celebrating them, making a name where their fame is what they would be going after. So following is not about the follower, but the one you're following. And I really believe this, that God protects us from the details so that we don't make following about us and lose sight of the one we're following. I know sometimes you're following along you're like just give me something throw me a bone give me some details can I just say be okay with not having many details just because God is short on details does not mean he is short on encouragement God is huge on encouraging you along the way to keep what to keep following You might not have the details, but God will always encourage. Second thing is they didn't look around. They said yes, and I love that they didn't take time to look around. Because if they would have looked around, they'd be like, wait a minute. John the Baptist was a freak. He lived in the desert. And uh, if that's kind of what the whole following God thing looks like, and now he's in prison, I totally am not going to do that. How many times have you looked around and said, if that's what Christianity is like, if I've got to be weird like that, if I've got to be this crazy, fanatical, psycho person, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that kind of person. I love when they were invited to follow. They didn't look around at anyone else but the one that had invited them to follow. There was something so beautiful, so attractive about the one speaking to them that they said, how could I not? How could I not? They did this without delay. Notice that they didn't pray about it. They weren't like, you know, we, we've got to have this time where we discern if this is really the best thing we should do with our life. They didn't like go speak spirit or seek out spiritual counsel. They weren't like, Jesus, wait here for at least a few days. I'm going to go talk to a few different people. Now, I'm not saying prayer and discernment and counsel is bad. I'm just pointing out that there are moments in time that are decisive moments where God speaks in such a way, like this day on the beach, that they said yes. They dropped their nets, and I remember uh, one of uh, my uh, professors Uh, President, actually, of the seminary I went to, I heard him say this one time. He said, they dropped their nets and they became a netless follower of Jesus. The text, Mark actually says, they dropped their nets, Simon and Andrew, or Peter and Andrew. And then of James and John, they left their father and their companions. Can you imagine if they would have followed Jesus, still dragging their nets behind him? Well, they probably would not have gotten very far. And I would venture to say many of us probably don't get very far because we're still dragging our nets behind us. I remember I was sitting in chapel when he asked this question. He said, look at your hands. How many of you have rope burn on your hands because you are clinging on to your nets so tightly you refuse to let them go? these guys when they said yes they dropped their nets the very thing that they were clinging to and by the way symbolically speaking their nets this was their security this was their identity this was their future they let go of the things those three things in particular why because they trusted if the guy inviting us to follow he'll he'll provide he has to provide because he's the one who's invited us to follow. I would put this question before you because it was put before me years and years ago. Michael, what are your nets that you're clinging onto? Would you please let them go? You as a follower, you, you cannot drag things behind you. You will never find true freedom in your spiritual journey, in your walk with God, in your relationship with God, if you're still tugging things behind you. Last thing I'll point out is, and really like this, is their invitation to follow is in the context of community. Fong mentioned it a few minutes ago. He said, you know, I was doing the Lone Ranger thing. The invitation to follow Jesus came with Peter and his brother Andrew. And then it came in the context of James and John. A few weeks later, uh, you eat, you'll eat, you won't eat anybody. You'll meet eight different guys who also decided to follow Jesus. Followers of Jesus do so in the context of a community of followers. There is no room, there is no place to do it on your own. Because if you do, you won't get very far. You won't have someone love you enough to say, would you put down that net? Because it stinks, it's rotting, and it smells. The invitation to follow came in the context of community. What would you do? Jesus comes up. He's God's son. He's preaching a message of good news. That the kingdom of God has arrived. He says, repent and believe. And then he shows us, what does that actually mean? And Mark gives us this amazing story on the beach where Jesus just came and said, come and follow. I will make you a fisher of people. What would you do? What would you do tonight? The invitation that was given 2,000 years is still the invitation that's here tonight. And if Jesus was bold enough to ask, I want to be bold enough to ask, if you have not made the decision to follow Jesus, make the decision to follow Jesus tonight. The reality is you're following someone or something already. But there is no one who is more worthy of us following than the Son of God, than the one who is the Messiah. If you've not made that decision, Repent of making your world about you and believe that Jesus is the one who is ushering in the kingdom of God. And maybe you have made a decision to follow, but man, you are walking around with net after net after net. I could give you a long list of what the nets could be, but I have a feeling you probably know what your nets are. And if you looked at your own hands, they might have some rope burn on them. Would you put those down and just start following the one who has called you, has invited you to follow? Just take a moment. Uh, We're going to celebrate communion and finish with some worship. But just do your own heart check. Where are you actually as a follower? As a follower. As you sit, just in, in... Quiet in silence, hopefully in peace of heart. make a decision to say, "Jesus, I'm in. Count me as one of your followers." And if you've already done that, but you see some nets that are really hindering the joy of a journey with God. Put the nets down. Just put them down, literally lay them down on the ground and say, Jesus, I'm done with these nets. I'm totally in and totally following.
0: Genesis is a ministry
1: of Hope Christian Church. We invite you to find out more by visiting our website at genesisthejourney.com.